0: We have a longer passage today. This is one of the longer monologues of Jesus as we've been going through John. We've gotten to John eight. He is in the temple. He has uh, just given his uh, uh, rivers of living water message to the people and then they brought an adulterous woman to him who he forgave and uh, talked about her sin, and now he's going to speak about being the light of the world. John 8, starting at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." So the Pharisee said to him, "You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true." Jesus answered. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've come to a long and complicated passage in your word. We pray this morning that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, the ability to understand and to know you and to know your word. We ask that you would do this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. many of you are familiar with the organization known as World Vision. World Vision is a Christian relief and development agency that works all over the world, primarily in third world countries. And about 10 years ago, they published an article about the difficulty of getting people to understand that they are going there to try to help them. And uh, it points out uh, the difficulty of helping people who don't understand what you're saying, either because it's new and foreign to them, or because they assign totally different meanings, not just to the words, but especially to the concepts that you're trying to teach. And to demonstrate this, they wrote a story about a village where the people lived in huts, and small huts, and these huts had just little holes in the walls, And so when the villagers lit small fires in their huts for cooking and for heating, the smoke would get trapped inside. And with the smoke trapped inside the huts, uh, they started developing very serious eye and uh, lung problems, breathing problems. And so the World Vision sent development experts in to help them. And those development experts came, and they explained to them that they needed more light and better ventilation. And they offered to put windows in their huts. The Villagers thought about that and said, okay. They agreed. And so they came and they installed these brand new windows in these huts. However, three weeks later, they came back. The windows were gone. All the little holes were back. They closed up. Uh, the space that they had made for the windows. All the windows were gone and all the little holes were back. You see, the villagers understood that their small holes led to poor physical health. But they had thought through the spiritual consequences of having big windows. And they thought big windows would allow evil spirits to come into their huts. And the price of protection from evil spirits... So apparently, poor physical health. They decided that was a price they were willing to pay. Put the little holes back, and they got rid of the windows. In fact, they were very happy to have all the free windows because they took them and sold them to people in another village, who were foolish enough to risk spiritual danger with big windows. They understood they needed more light. They were. Presented with more light. And they were very afraid of having more light. <coughs> we think of more light as a good thing, usually. I mean, we almost think of uh, light and windows as a positive. For the most part, we appreciate windows. Windows. But in many parts of the world, in many different contexts and unusual situations, having more light is seen as a bad thing. It's seen as a dangerous thing. Let me give you another example. When I first joined the army, you had to go through basic training. Generally, basic training is not a lot of fun. It's not designed that way. In fact, uh, to some degree, you're training to be miserable and still function and that's sort of the purpose behind it and I remember one night I was a private first class pretty low there and we had a class on night operations, so we're out in the woods <coughs> um, out in the woods in a big group very dark we were probably getting yelled at And we had this class, how do you function at night? And one of the things they stressed the most was you were to never, ever light a match or flick a lighter or turn on your flashlight. Because if you do, the enemy can see you. And if the enemy can see you, he can kill you. And to prove the point, they sent a soldier way, way, way out into the woods So far that we couldn't see him or hear him anymore. And it was pitch black out. We had no idea where he was. And then by radio, they told him to strike a match. When he did, the whole wooded area seemed to light up. One match. Everybody knew exactly where he was. And even though he was really far away, to find him, all you had to do was follow the light. And so we learned during night operations to be afraid of the light. Now, that's not a whole lot different from the story we have here in John 8. Jesus is telling people that he's the light of the world and the light is good. And they need to follow the light so they won't walk in darkness. And if they walk in the light, he'll give them the light of life. They understood they needed the light. And they understood that he could give them the light. But they were very afraid of having the light. Because in their context and in their understanding, having the light was seen as a bad thing, as a dangerous thing. And that brings us to our text this morning. Because many don't see the light. There's still many people who don't see the light then and now. Again, starting at verse 12. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now, you have to understand where this is taking place. We have to remember that John 8 takes place at the temple in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, which we saw back in chapter 7. We saw a few weeks ago during the Feast of Tabernacles, they had a great ceremony of pouring water over the altar, and how Jesus stood up and cried out in John 7 If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He said this against this backdrop of them pouring uh, huge uh, amounts of water over the altar. Well, now after the water ceremony, the people light candles all over the temple. Particularly in the two outer courts, the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. And they mention that being in the treasury, which was in the court of the women. Why the treasury was in the court of the women, I don't really know, but I'm sure there's a real reason for that. But both of these are open-air courts, no roofs over them. And in the midst of all of these candles, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of candles they would light four huge, great uh, candelabras, big, giant ones that they had to put a ladder up against and climb up, and they'd fill them with oil and light the wick. And the combined light of all these candles and the four large candelabras was so large and so bright that Josephus writes that its light reflected all over the city of Jerusalem. And they were lit to remind them That during the Exodus, when they spent 40 years in the wilderness, God led them by means of a great pillar of cloud and fire and light. And when the pillar of light moved, the people followed it. And then they go through the festival, they light all the candles, and now the festival ends, it's over, and they extinguish the great lights, and they extinguish all the candles, and everything gets dark, and it's hard to see. It makes for a stunning contrast. They did it very quickly, and all of a sudden, you were in this thick darkness after the feast, and it is at that time that Jesus speaks the words. We read in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in the midst of such a powerful ritual, Jesus' declaration came with dramatic force. If one is in the wilderness, then following the light in this glorious pillar of cloud and fire is the right thing to do. Now Jesus is telling them and us that if one is in the darkness, then following Jesus, the true light, is the right thing to do. And this is the third time that Jesus has told the people to look beyond their tradition, look beyond their history, and look to him. He told them back in John 6, if they wanted manna from heaven that gave light, then they needed to look to him, for he is the bread of life. And then he told them in John 7, if they wanted the water that sustains life, then they need to look to him, for he provides rivers of living water. And now he tells them here in John 8, that if they want a light to follow, then they need to follow him, for he is the light of the world. And this verse is strategically placed by the Apostle John, for it not only rounds out Jesus' claims in connection with the Feast of Tabernacles, but it prepares the way for chapter 9, where the working out of Jesus' claim to be the light is demonstrated in a miracle where a blind man is made to see, while those who claim to see remain blind to the light. And of course, here in John, it's the Pharisees who remain blind to the light, due to their unbelief. Rather than listen to what Jesus has just claimed, rather than make a decision to follow Christ, the Pharisees try to avoid the issue by catching Jesus with a technicality. Just as a sly courtroom lawyer can get a criminal off the hook by using a technicality in the law, so the Pharisees are trying to use a technicality to get themselves off the hook and to trip up Jesus in the process. You see, they challenge his testimony according to the rules of evidence. Notice they're not challenging what he said. They're challenging his right to say it. Jesus answers them patiently. First, he tells them they're not qualified to judge because they judge by human standards. He says, you judge according to the flesh. You're not judging by God's standards. And second, he shows them that his testimony is valid even according to their rules and He reminds them that what he said is right and true, and it's backed up by the Father in heaven. So they better listen and stop playing games. And I thought about that, and I thought, how many times do we try to get off the hook by using a technicality? How many times have we faced a decision where we knew the right thing to do, it was clear from God's word what we should do, but we didn't want to do it. So we rationalized our decision. We came up with a technicality so we don't have to do that. Well, that's not really applying to me. That was written a long time ago and applied to this group over here. And done, you know, and it just kind of gets old. And just like the Pharisees, we come up with petty reasons for justifying our disobedience in an attempt to soothe our guilty consciences. We allow conflicts to enter our weekly schedule, and then we use those conflicts as an excuse to not come serve the church. Oh, I can't do that. I already promised I'd, you know. Even though when we agreed to that, we knew it would create a conflict. And we use those conflicts not to fellowship with other believers. We use those conflicts not to come worship the Lord. And while the excuses seem to satisfy those around us, don't be fooled. God knows the heart. God isn't fooled by our excuses. But God is patient with us. And through his word, he answers all of our challenges. He points us to his standards, to his testimony, to his truth, reminds us that we need to listen to what he says. Stop playing games with our Christianity. Here in John 8, the Pharisees are not listening. They were not listening to Jesus because many don't know the light. Many don't know the light. We saw many didn't see the light, and now many don't know the light. Starting at verse 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, he cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. So, despite their refusal to believe him, the Pharisees continue to question Jesus. Because he's a stranger, because he's uh, come from far away, they question his identity. They reason if they can't trip him up on a technicality, surely they can discredit him with a question about his identity. Perhaps uh, they're mocking uh, that he was Joseph's son and yet they knew uh, that Mary was pregnant before Joseph and Mary got married. We don't know. It doesn't say. But it's surely a possibility. It's something mean you would say to someone in that situation. And they're trying to discredit him so the people can see he has no standing to make the claims that he's making. So they ask him, verse 19, where is your father? You've just said, I am my father. Uh, I'm a witness. My father's a witness. I only do what the father tells me to do. And uh, so they say, where's your father? And again, Jesus answers them by telling them they don't know the Father because they don't know him. And what's where he's bringing the issue back, not to a question of identity, but to a question of belief. Remember, the Gospel of John is all about believing. And Jesus is letting them know that the issue is not where the Father is, because if they knew Christ, they would know where the Father is. But the real issue is their failure to believe, because if they believe, then they would already know the answers to their questions. And Jesus is making it clear that the Father is known through the Son. And to know one is to know the other. John will say later in John 14, uh, he quotes Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But this truth isn't known by the Pharisees. We have six more chapters before we get there. And despite their standing as the religious experts, They seem to be lacking in spiritual perception. What's Jesus saying, after all, when he says, I am the light of the world? He's saying, first of all, he's fulfilling prophecy. He's actually fulfilling prophecy. We read during Christmas almost every year from Isaiah 9. The people who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. Upon them has the light shined. And Jesus is saying, I am that light. I'm the one of whom the Old Testament speaks. I'm the one about which the Old Testament uh, prophesies. I'm the fulfillment of every promise of the Messiah in the Old Testament. And he says twice, I am he. It's one of the great claims of Jesus that he fulfills these promises, these prophecies of the Old Testament. They all find their fulfillment in him. He is the light. But this is a somewhat complicated passage But as the experts in the Hebrew Bible, these Pharisees should have recognized Jesus' allusions to the Old Testament. Both in verse 24 and in verse 28, he uses the phrase, I am he. Now that phrase appears six times in the book of Isaiah. It's a key phrase for the book of Isaiah. And the language of Isaiah 43 is especially close to the language used here in John. He pulls some of the uh, things he says right out of Isaiah. Isaiah 43 10 says, you are my witnesses declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. As one of many. But they couldn't recognize this great teaching Jesus is giving him, uh, giving them. They couldn't recognize it to be true. They couldn't recognize that it came from the prophet Isaiah. They didn't understand it was endorsed by the Father, whom they professed to serve. Jesus had just said he was the light of the world. But the Pharisees' preoccupation (coughs) with the darkness, they're preoccupied with the darkness, prevents them from seeing and knowing the light. So once again, how many times do we question God because we don't take the time to get to know him? I mean, that's what most of the world does, right? They question Jesus, they question God, uh, rather than sit down and try to see what he's all about, try to see what he said, what he's done. We don't recognize the truthfulness of what Jesus says very often because we are preoccupied with our own brand of darkness. We're so concerned about our needs, our time, our things, We don't stop and ask, what is it that Jesus is telling me here in God's Word? What do I need to do differently in order to be obedient and to know Him and believe Him and to love Him? See, loving Christ, believing Christ, obeying Christ are all wrapped up together. You can't say that you love Him and believe Him, you just don't want to do what He says. That shows that you really don't love Him or believe Him. If you truly believe Jesus, then you'll love Him for he saved you from your sins. And if you truly love Jesus, you'll show that love by being obedient to what he says. And one of the things he says, verse 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You need to make a decision now. Leave whatever your version of darkness is and follow Christ But we see that's a decision the Pharisees refused to make because they don't understand the light. Many don't understand the light. That's the last blank there. Starting at verse 27, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own authority. But speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. We start off here in verse 27, which tells us they didn't understand what Jesus is trying to teach them. So he goes on to tell them the time is coming when there's going to be no more excuses for not understanding. See, the Pharisees' failure to understand came because of a willful refusal to understand, not because they were simply unable to. They didn't want to understand. They didn't want to believe. However, Jesus is challenging them here that the time will come when they'll see, and the time will come when they'll know, and the time will come when they'll understand that Jesus Christ is exactly who he claims to be. And in the act of redemption, he says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, and in the act of redemption, we just sang about this, he will be lifted up on a cross where he will die for our sins. And then in resurrection, he will be lifted up out of the grave, demonstrating that he defeated our sins. And then he will reign where he will be lifted up to sit at the right hand of the Father where he gives us his Holy Spirit so we no longer have to live in the darkness of our sins. The cross reveals who Jesus is. That's where he'll be lifted up, and that's when we will surely see, know, and understand the truth that he is the light of the world. King David wrote all the way back in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, Of whom shall I be afraid? I think that's what Jesus wants us to say. When the lights go out and everything goes dark and he shouts out, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He wants us to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He wants us to walk in the light, to live in him, not to live away from him, not to live uh, far from him, and the darkness of a world which refuses to see, know, or understand Him. Apostle John wrote, 1 John 1, 5, This is the message we have heard from Him, proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Jesus came to bring light in the midst of darkness, light for our daily decisions, light for our deepest fears, light for our routine, everyday, ordinary aspects of life. Just as the sun above gives light for our world, God's Son Jesus Christ gives light for our hearts. Now, if we somehow were able to refuse the light from the sun, very quickly we would have a cold, lifeless planet. But if you refuse the light from God's sun, then you'll be left with a cold, lifeless heart. And that's not the will of God for his people. Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And even though the Pharisees, the people who are supposed to understand, didn't get it, Apparently, the common people at the Feast of the Tabernacle, standing out there in the darkness after the lights have been extinguished, did get it, because our passage ends with these words, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. The Apostle John has written all this down so that we'll get it too, so that we can hear the words of Christ and see the light and know the light and understand the light, fully believing that Jesus is the light of the world, so that the light shines in our hearts and through us to the world. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, uh, 14 through 16, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Jesus himself said, In Matthew 5, during the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I'm reminded of the story of a little boy, went to church very faithfully every Sunday morning, his parents took him, and they brought him in, and they brought him to Sunday school, and this church had beautiful stained glass windows of all the apostles and all the biblical writers uh, in the stained glass windows. And uh, the little boy asked who the people were. And so he was told, well, in that window is, uh, that stained glass window is St. Paul. That's a picture of St. Paul. And in that stained glass window is Peter. That's a picture of St. Peter. And and that one is St. John. And that one is St. Mark and so on. Right on down the list of all the apostles and all the biblical writers. And he thought that was very fascinating. He went to Sunday school and uh, they were uh, teaching in Sunday school. And a Sunday school teacher asked him the question, what is a saint? So very logically he replied, a saint is a person whom the light shines through. The wisdom of children. So the question for us, for you, from John 8, is the light. Shining through. Is the light shining through? We need to pray. Take a moment to do that and I'll close. While we're praying, if you need to get children out of the nursery or let the children's church folks know that come back in, you've got it taken care of. Good. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes your word is hard to understand. Sometimes we find ourselves on the wrong side being more like the Pharisees and not so much like Jesus. We are quick to rationalize and are quick to make excuses. But we see that Jesus is the light. And we're told that we need to believe that I am He, the one all the prophets speak of, all the signs and symbols of the Old Testament point to. That He is the light of the world while we're standing in darkness in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. He is the light. Father, there's a matter of faith before we can act. We have to believe before we can do and so I ask this morning that you would enable us to believe, that you would enable us as we prepare to come forward to receive a communion, that we would come forward professing that Jesus is the light of the world, that he is the light for those of us who walk in darkness, that he gives us the light of life. Help us to believe, to profess, to act upon that truth, Do that for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.